I just want to share a quick story before I before I pray uh, about prayer. So so yesterday we had our our fifth annual hayride, which was pretty pretty fun, pretty exciting. All those who came and made food and stuff, thank you for doing that. But um, but all week long, there was like a seventy to ninety percent chance of rain all day Saturday, and so. Missy and I actually just all week, we just prayed for good weather. And because God is good, uh, we had a wonderful day. It was blue skies from morning until five minutes after the hayride ended. And then it started sprinkling, like just to remind us, just so you know, it was supposed to rain all day, but it didn't. And so last night we prayed and, and, and thanked the Lord for good weather. And then it just poured, right? It poured all night long. It's like he was holding it back and had to let it go. You know, we need to. Anyway, this morning, just in case that was wasn't enough, maybe we can call that a coincidence or something. I don't. I don't think it is. But this morning, we've been looking for the the keys to our filing cabinet in the back, and uh, you know, it's just this little thing that you don't really think about. And, uh, we started praying for our our practice, and and I just just quickly was I had been talking to Clay about trying to find him, and he was searching around. So I just prayed and I went, Lord, help us find the keys. And as I, as I said keys in my mind, Clay went and he held up the keys, immediately finding them as the Lord showed him to where to find them, which they were in a spot that we didn't even know there was actually a hook back there. And we found this hook and it's amazing. God is good. And he cares about our lives, even little things like finding keys and keeping uh, the weather at bay for the day so that we can have a hayride. So in that light, let's pray for our service today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your care and your concern for us. Sometimes we can go through life only thinking about you in the times whenever there's big, desperate needs. But Lord, you care about about the the little details of our day. Lord, I think sometimes you just want to show off to us and we just... We don't get to see it because we don't we don't ask you to to show us. Lord, we just pray that your your word would go forth today, and would do mighty things. Lord, we we love these little moments where we can be reminded of how how much you care for us. It's in light of that that we turn to your word to be changed and transformed by it. Lord, it's in your precious and holy Son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to, to Romans chapter 14. We'll be in verses 13 to 23. This is the second half of uh, second half of, of kind of one thought for Paul, I think, that we picked up before uh, two weeks ago, before we had our Psalm Sunday last week. We looked at the first half a couple weeks ago. Chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. 
by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that your spirit would enlighten these words to our hearts. Like I said last time, two, two weeks ago in the first half of chapter 14, we picked up this new, this new thread. Chapters 12 to 16 in the book of Romans are, are, are in a lot of ways, the, the, the application of the knowledge of the gospel. The, the now what sort of uh, response to the gospel. We've heard about our desperate need for a Savior. We've heard about our Savior being Jesus, the free gift given to us through faith. Now what? Now we we now what is to love one another? Chapter fourteen is 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 about loving patiently, or or to use a word I, I mentioned this last time to use a word that has been hijacked by our culture to use uh, to to love is to love tolerantly. Intolerance doesn't mean that we ignore sin or that we overlook sin or that we're even Tolerant of sin, actually, on the contrary, we hold a higher standard than maybe we would have before. This is what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, brothers and sisters, that you know, thou shalt not murder, but I say if you hate in your heart, it's murder. Jesus is escalating the moral code. So we don't we don't look over, we don't have tolerance for, for sin, for immorality, but we have tolerance for opinion. Last time I said it's, it's, it's difficult to define opinion, though. We have a difficult time all agreeing on what opinion is. That's by nature the definition of opinion. But what Paul does in the second half of chapter 14 is he, and he in a lot, a lot of ways, shows us what this will look like. What this will look like. What does it mean? What does it mean to not pass judgment on one who has a different opinion than me. That's what he's going to look at here in 13 to 23. Paul, Paul addresses two topics in the first half. 
first half of 14, he addresses two things. He, he talks about meat, people who eat meat, and people who only eat vegetables and don't feel that it's right to eat meat. And the second topic is what day of the week to esteem, or probably most likely he's talking about what day of the week should we worship God or set aside to worship God. Some said Sundays, some said Saturdays, some said all days. We should meet together all days of the week and have a worship service. What, what we find in the second half is he kind of drops the, the what day of the week and he focuses attention on the meat issue. I made it very clear, though, that when Paul addresses eating meat or eating vegetables in the first half of 14, he is not referring to the Old Testament law code. In the Old Testament, there are many different types of law. And that's true even in our society. In our society. There's, there's morality. There is thou shalt not kill. Right in the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. We have the same thing in our in our system, in our law system, right? Thou shalt not, we're not allowed to just go around taking people's lives willy-nilly. It's, it's illegal. That's a moral issue. But then there's also, in, in the Old Testament, there's also what's called civil laws. And the civil laws are things like, uh, if, if my ox, if I own an ox, maybe you own an ox, my ox comes and kills your sheep, for example. That's not a moral issue. I had nothing to do with that unless I purposely took my ox over there, and that's a whole different, that's a whole different story altogether. But if my ox just wanders out of his pen somehow and goes over and kills your, your, your sheep, I don't have any control over that. So it's not a moral thing, but it is a, it is a civil thing, and we need to keep peace among the brothers and sisters of, of those who follow after God, and so therefore we need to find some restitution. And one of the restitutions is to give them a, give them a sheep or let them kill one of your sheep, whatever, whatever seems to fit the... The issue. These are civil laws. We have civil laws also. Civil laws are things like jaywalking or, or speeding. As long as you don't get into an accident, speeding is, is typically more of a civil thing. It's more of a keeping, keeping peace. If you're driving down the road at 180 miles an hour through a school zone, that's, again, a different story. Now that's reckless endangerment, and now that's being escalated down to a kind of a moral thing. So we, we recognize there's, there's a difference in the, in the laws in the Old Testament. There's, there's more differences in the laws of the Old Testament than there are in our system, because pretty much that's where our system stops. Anybody in the last 24 hours wash their hands? Probably most of us. Within the last week, probably all of us. Even if it's just by accident. We wash our hands because why? Why do we wash our hands? Because it's clean. Because there's germs on our hands. We have this, we have this full re, you know, understanding of how disease works and germs work. The ancient world didn't have that knowledge. And so God, being good and sovereign, said, Hey, Israelites, be clean. And then there are things we call cleanliness laws. Some of them are strange and unusual, like, like don't, don't, don't put a, an old patch, or don't put a, a new patch on old clothing. That kind of fits under this strange category of cleanliness, and we don't really understand that. And then there's other ones, like, like if you have leprosy. If you have leprosy, go outside of the camp. Why? Because leprosy is contagious. And so go outside of the, the, the camp, go away from everybody else. Don't give everybody else leprosy, because if you do, you're probably all going to die. 
And we see this most clearly happening in the Middle Ages when the Black Plague went through, went through Europe. At this point, the, the Jewish people lived in what was called ghettos. It's actually where the term originated. And, and all the Jewish people kind of lived by themselves. And you know what they did when the Black Plague went? They washed their hands. They were typically cleaner than everybody else. There was a, there was this, a, a sense of cleanliness within the community. And, and, and what is it, like one quarter of all people in, uh, in Europe died because of the Black Plague or something you know, atrocious like that? Very few people in Jewish communities died because they bathed regularly. They washed their hands. And if they got sick, they went away from everybody else. So God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, he said, I'm going to protect my people who I've, I've called out from the midst of, the, of all other peoples, and I'm going to protect them with hygiene. But then there's also, within the cleanliness laws, other things, like don't touch dead people, because dead people can have diseases. And if you have to touch dead people, then stay away from everybody else, because, again, you might be contaminated and, and passing contaminations. We, we get so confused but really, if you just think about the word clean and unclean, it answers the question. What are these laws about? We know the difference from the Old Testament because the moral laws usually follow, either follow or are followed by the statement, thus says the Lord. Thou shalt not murder, thus says the Lord, because God is, is in control. He's the one who gets to decide morality. But things like eating pork is followed by, if you eat pork, you are ceremonially unclean. Now, again, pork is one of those confusing ones. Like, oh, well, we don't know what that is. It's a, you know, animals that chew the cud and have cloven hooves. And I don't, I don't know what it is. It's too confusing. You know, many people have, have given hypotheses and all these kind of things. And it doesn't really matter. It's God is, God knows. He understands. And there's a different reason. It could be there's diseases in pork and, and all sorts of stuff. But we don't know. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that there's a difference. When Jesus comes to the earth as, as the Son of God, He has this new, this new outlook on life. Like I said, He raises the bar on moral sin, and He eliminates the bar on cleanliness, thing, on cleanliness laws. In the book of Acts, Peter, he's having this really difficult time understanding what, what to do with the Gentiles, these non-Jewish people. And God sends this vision, these the sheet comes down with all these unclean animals, and God says, eat. And, and Peter's like, no, I'm not going to eat. I've never eaten anything unclean. And, Jesus, and God's like, no, everything is now clean. So in, two weeks ago, when we looked at the first half of 14, I made a very important point that Peter or Paul, I'm going to do it all day today too. Those of you who are here Wednesday night, I apologize. Paul says, look, this is a whole new thing. This is not the... This is not the the laws about cleanliness that Paul was addressing in the first half. He says that there's this new, this new thought. We don't know whether we can eat meat, because if you eat meat, it, is, it was first sacrificed to a pagan idol. It's how the culture worked. You, didn't, you couldn't buy meat anywhere besides Jerusalem, where it wasn't first sacrificed in a temple to a pagan god. So they're like, we don't know if we're allowed to do this or not, because it feels like pagan worship. And so some people are like, well, we just won't eat meat. We'll just eat vegetables. And then other people are like, well, no, we can eat meat. God, Christ said everything is clean now. Peter or Paul tells us, hey, you're, you're allowed. You're allowed. You can eat. It's fine. So what do we do? It's not, 
it's not about eating pork. It's not about eating a, a horse, which is also forbidden in the Old Testament law code. It's about eating meat in general. But, but notice, in this section, in the second half, he now brings to bear these Old, Testament, these Old Testament cleanliness codes upon the current situation. So what is he doing? I think what Paul is doing is he's making a new point. He's saying, let's think about the principle of clean and unclean laws, and let's apply them to our situation. What does it mean to have a clean and unclean law? What is God doing by giving us all these cleanliness laws? Why does God say, wash your hands? To protect you from germs. Why does God say don't, don't spread dangerous diseases? Go outside of the camp to contain, uh, you know, pandemic. Why does God say don't eat pork? I, I wish I had a better answer. Because he does. To protect us. For some reason, God was protecting us. By us, I mean the Israelites. So what are the cleanliness laws? I think the cleanliness laws are, are, are they derive from a sense of putting up a boundary, a universal boundary that protects us. So, we do in the church, what do we do in the church? Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an absurd example to try to make my point. An example is, don't go to a strip club. Right? All of us are going to go, yeah, that makes sense, don't go to a strip club. Now, here's the, here is the reality. The reality is there are certain people, probably more women than men, but there are certain people who could go into a strip club and not sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say don't go into a strip club. So we make this, we make this rule. We make this guideline for ourselves. Let's not go into strip clubs because most likely if you're a man, you're going to lust once you've gone in there. But it is not necessarily universal. Now let's go to a, a, a more practical one. Because most of us are going to go, we probably shouldn't go to the strip club. We recognize the value of that law. Let's go to something more, or something less universal. Perhaps I shouldn't go and go to a bar. Maybe I come from a line of people who, who suffer from alcoholism. I myself have had alcohol before, and, and, and now I struggle with alcoholism, hypothetically. So instead of going to a bar where I know that there's going to be alcohol in my presence, I'm going to guard myself. I'm going to protect myself, and I'm not going to go to the bars. This will keep me away from these, from, from eventually maybe stumbling into sin. But again, it's not universal. Not everybody struggles with alcohol. Not everybody has tendencies to alcoholism. Scripture does not condemn alcohol. In fact, Jesus, in, in I think John chapter 3 or somewhere around there, the beginning of John, Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana, and he, and he, takes, he takes 120 gallons of water and turns it into wine. 120 gallons of water turns it into wine, and everybody drinks. Now, does, has Jesus just caused everybody in the room to sin? No. Sin is not drinking alcohol. In fact, Paul, Paul encourages Timothy, take a little wine with your, with your food because it will help your stomach. Drinking alcohol is not sinful. But for some, it is. Some, it's dangerous because there could be a path to go down where if I, if I start drinking now in a small amount, I will eventually drink too much and be, and be drunken, which is universally condemned in Scripture. 
Now, we do this with many other things. We do this with things like, like theater in, in the 1800s when theater became, really came, came to its rise with people like William Shakespeare and, and things like that where it wasn't just about reenacting some, some simple story, but it was, it was starting to reenact stories that had, that had sexual content and things of that nature. And so the church went, you know what, it's dangerous to go to a theater and watch, and watch the sexual content. We should probably not go to the theater. But it's this barrier that we put up and we said, oh, wait, we're going to make a, a blanket statement to protect some people within the community, but, but not everybody will suffer from that tendency. I hope that makes sense because I can't dwell on it any longer. So we put these things up. This is, I think, what Paul is, there, is, is addressing. He's saying it makes, it makes sense in some situations, but not all. Everything is now... Clean, And when he says that, everything is now clean, he's talking about a universal nothing in itself, aside from sinful nature, things that are things, that are things we do that are not against the moral codes of Scripture. They are, they are in themselves not sinful. It is not sinful to enter into a strip club, but it is sinful to lust in a strip club. Now, most of us, again, would recognize that going into a strip club, I'm not encouraging anybody, please nobody, think I'm encouraging you to go to strip clubs. It's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to make an absurd point that you can maybe see. We see the dangers, and so therefore we put these boundaries up. And that's what they did in the first century. That's what they did. They said, we don't know if of eating meat, sacrificed idols, if that's pagan worship. And so let's just guard ourselves against pagan worship. Let's stay away from it. And Paul says, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, As for you, or as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to, not to quarrel over opinions. Say, don't fight. Stop fighting is the message from the first half of chapter 14. Stop fighting about these opinions. Stop fighting about opinions. Goes over and says, There's some people believe this, some people believe that, but, but all can worship God through their opinion. Some might eat meat and say, that's, that's God's gift. I worship God. Some say, I can't eat meat because I don't want to worship a pagan God. And that's worship of God. Some people say, I'm not going to go to the theater. Because if I go to the theater, I might watch a movie that has violence and sex in it. And I'm going to lust and, and be angry. So I'm going to stay away. I'm not going to drink alcohol because if I do, I'm going to become drunken. That's why I stay away. That's worship of God. And some can enjoy those things and enjoy the entertainment that God has God has allowed us to create, again, to a certain extent, obviously. So what does Paul say? He says in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, to clarify, brother is, is, the, is the language from the original Greek. Paul, when Paul says this, he's not talking about just the men. He's talking about everybody. It was, a, it was a masculine society, and when you addressed a group of people, men and women, you said, you said in the masculine, brothers, not brothers and sisters. We could rightfully understand that to mean everybody in the community, all Christians. Don't put a stumbling block in front of Christians. One interesting thing that Paul does literarily is it says, do not pass judgment, not pass judgment. And then he says, rather decide. It comes from the same Greek root word. He says, don't pass judgment. And then he flips it upon himself. He says, but rather decide. Don't decide to pass judgment, but rather decide to not pass judgment, to not create a problem 
for your fellow Christians. What does that mean, a stumbling block or a hindrance? You ever heard a thing, a little thing called peer pressure? Remember dare in school? Don't give in to peer pressure. I think that's what Paul's talking about. Maybe a little more complex than that, but I think that's essentially what he's talking about. Let's just focus on one particular thing. And, I'll, and the reason why I'm going to focus on alcohol is just because it's something that we can talk about in the church that is still relatively relevant. Most, most church denominations don't, don't bar going to the theater anymore. Maybe they caution it, but they don't bar it. Most denominations, you know, most denominations don't bar you from going to sporting events. Most, not all. But relatively speaking, the, the consumption of alcohol is still an issue within the church that we disagree on. It's very possible that it's, it's close to 50-50. Some denominations say it's okay. Some denominations say don't even touch it. They put up this wall to keep to keep people safe. It's not out of it's not out of malice. It's out of it's out of protection. So let's talk about alcohol for a second. Let's use one that's a little bit more uh, present for us because we don't have temples that sacrifice to pagan gods, so we don't know how, that doesn't apply to us anymore. Doesn't make sense. I'll be a little honest with you, and I hope I hope that you can forgive me if you disagree with me. I hope that we can listen to the first half of this chapter. And I don't think that drinking alcohol is sinful. Like I said, Jesus brings 120 gallons of wine to a wedding, where he magically makes them appear, actually. I don't think it's wrong. I think there's plenty of examples of alcohol being consumed in the, in the Old Testament. There's plenty of references in the New Testament. I don't think it's wrong. And in fact, I think that Paul actually says it in verse 21 by the negation. He says it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble, implying that it is, it is better to keep your brother from stumbling by not doing something that you already had the right to do. So I think Paul addresses this. So this is my opinion. And I know that there are some people in this church who differ on that opinion, and that's okay. And you can differ on that opinion for many different reasons. Paul says, do not pass judgment, but rather decide not to put a stumbling block. So I, as a person who believes one way, can lord it over others who believe a different way. And isn't it silly how sometimes we get really caught up in, our, in ourselves and we look at other people who differ in opinion and we go, I'm right, they're wrong, they need to change. How quickly that can happen. And so we go about our lives and we, we take opportunities. Oh, I'm going to invite these people over to my house and we're going to drink alcohol together. That is a stumbling block. Let's, let's move forward. Verse 14 says, I know and I am persuaded in, in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. There it is again. There is no unclean in itself, non-moral issue. There's no, there is no law that must contain, that is not related to morality, that needs to continue, that automatically makes me unclean, automatically separates me from the society, automatically causes me to sin. Nothing in itself is unclean, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. This is why it matters. If it was not a sin, if it was not a sin for somebody to 
drink alcohol, then there wouldn't be any issue. But if a person goes, I don't feel right drinking alcohol, and I, as the person who thinks it's perfectly fine, cause you or, or convince you or twist your arm to drink alcohol, you know what I've done? I've led you into sin. Did you notice what happened? In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, cleanliness was not about sin. It was not about sin. This is what the Pharisees misunderstand. The Pharisees are like, hey, why are you eating? Why are you working on a Sunday? And Jesus is like, no. The, the Sunday is for the Lord. Sunday, or Sunday, not for the Lord. The, 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 the master of, of the Sabbath is, is the Son of Man. It's a backwards paraphrase here, sorry. No, Jesus is like, no, this isn't, this isn't what it's about. He corrects them. He, he, he chastises you. He's like, no, you're misunderstanding. There's a difference between morality and cleanliness. And Paul here in the New Testament is like, we, we should love our brothers so much. We should care so much about our fellow brothers and sisters that we never do anything to them that would drive them to do something they're uncomfortable with because if they do something they feel uncomfortable with, it is not just uncleanness. It's now sin. It has been escalated. He goes on, he says, for if, if, for if your brother is grieved, in verse 15, by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not neglect, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Because isn't that the truth? If, if we've taken something that was a freedom to us, right, a freedom to us, and we and we cause our brother or sister to to sin, it is no longer a good thing. It is now an evil thing. I think we can all agree that if I drive you to sinfulness, that's an evil act. Verse seventeen: For the kingdom of God is not it's not a matter of eating or drink, eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual ability. Huh. So what you're saying is, is that I have, a, I have a freedom in Jesus Christ. I have been saved and transformed by him that I don't need to put up barriers for the church. As a leader of this church, I don't, I don't feel it necessary to put up barriers to protect some by, by curbing everybody. But... But just because I have this freedom doesn't mean that it's right to do. And this is what Peter, or this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, the, the Corinthian church, they write to Paul, and they're like, don't we have the right to do everything? Isn't it now lawful? Isn't everything now lawful? And Paul responds, he quotes what they said. He says, yes, everything is lawful, but not everything is for the betterment of the society, of the group. Here he says, he says the same thing, just in different words. The kingdom of God is, is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is not a, a matter of drinking alcohol or eating meat, sacrificed idols or going to the movie theater or watching sports or doing this or doing that. It's about righteousness and peace and joy. It's bigger. And so therefore, we as Christians, we as fellow heirs of Christ should give up our rights for who? For the growth of the church. For peace among us and for mutual ability. What does that mean? I just give up everything? 
I never, if, if anybody ever has any problems with it, I just, whatever, willy-nilly, just forget about it. No, that's not in pursuit of truth. That's not in, that is not in pursuit of mutual upbuilding, but it is in pursuit of good, sound conversation. When I was in school, when I was, when I was getting my undergrad, I had a class, and, and one, of the, one of the parts of the class was talking, about, was talking about youth ministry. I don't think it was a youth ministry class, but we were talking about youth ministry nonetheless. And my professor said, you know, the, the average attention span of a, of a high school, to, a junior high and high school kid is about 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. And that just, just cut me deep. We are, we are so... We are so afraid of communication and listening. Did, did you know that listening is one of the most important things in any marriage, in any business, in any relationship? If you don't know how to listen and you're struggling in your marriage, listen. Or you're struggling in your business, listen. Learn to listen. Because this is what we lack. And you know what we do? We go, I'm better, you're worse, you should just stop what you're doing and do what I think. How dare we? How dare we pass judgment, as Paul says, on those who are around us? We think we're so high and mighty, we have it all figured out. But that's not what pursuing mutual upbuilding is. In fact, I think it's the complete opposite. I think what we should be doing, instead of instead of saying, oh, I, it, it's right for me to eat meat, sacrifice idols, or or play a game of euchre because I'm not gambling. I, all I do is I just go and shove it in, shove it in your face. That's, that's so absurd. That's not love. It's dominance. I charge any of you to find one place where Jesus dominated those who followed him. We serve them so much so that he went to the cross to die for isn't that the number one thing that we say when we call ourselves Christians, right? I'm a Christ follower. Christ went to the cross. Did you? Will you? For the, for the peace and joy and righteousness of your brothers and sisters in Christ, will you go to the cross like Jesus did? Maybe we should stop calling ourselves Christians. Paul says, Paul says look. We should be pursuing mutual upbuilding. And I think that means that we have conversations about the things that we differ on. We should continuously have conversations about the things that we differ on. But we should never lord it over those who differ with us. Paul, for almost all, all of his ministry, he fought this one issue called circumcision. Right? We all know what circumcision is living in, living in America. Most of us do. If you don't, please come talk to me. I'm not going to share it in front of everybody right now. Not that I'm afraid of it, but but in the ancient world, not everybody was circumcised. In fact, really only the Jews were at that particular time. And the Gentiles, the Gentiles are all non-Jewish people. They weren't circumcised. And, and, the, and the Jews who were Christians, they're like, if you want to become a Christian, you have to first be a Jew. And if, in, in order to be a Jew, you have to be circumcised. And so all these men, all these older men are going, if I want to be a Christian, if I want to follow Jesus, I have to what? And they left. And, and Paul was like, hey, we can't be doing this. This is not right. This isn't how we should go. And he fought it. And he fought it. And he fought it. And he fought it. And he's flaming mad whenever he writes, writes to the church in Galatia. And he, he just goes in this rant about adding stuff to the gospel. And he finally, there's a council in Jerusalem where they decide, they decide it's all right. You don't have to be circumcised first. And, and Peter kind of backtracks. And Paul comes up to him. And he's like, he's like, why are you backtracking? Finally, he wins the argument. You know what the very next thing he did was? He took his protege, Timothy, 
Titus, excuse me. And he took him and he had him circumcised immediately after he won the battle. You know why? Because he was pursuing peace and mutual upbuilding. He knew just because the church had said it doesn't mean that everybody's going to immediately be okay with it. We need to learn to communicate. We need to learn to listen. And we need to always, always, always be willing to sacrifice our own freedoms for the good of those who are around us. He goes on, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. You see, he confirms it. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make anyone stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to say it's good. It is right, he says, to, to give up your rights. Like I said, not don't ever talk about it. Talk about it. Communicate. Here's why, though. He says, the faith that you have, keep between you, yourself, and God. So you can continue to, the freedoms that you have. Just do them to yourself or, by, or, 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 or in groups where you know that it isn't going to cause a stumbling. Because blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Aren't I so wonderful for being so righteous and so free in Jesus Christ that I can do whatever I want? That's what Paul said. That's what, that's what he did. The, the person is, blessed is the man who doesn't have to be high on himself. Who can, who can in fact go, you know what, I, do, I know that I'm right. But I don't need to win an argument. I'm an argumentative person. I like to win arguments. This is hard for me. It's hard for me to humble myself and go, you know what, I don't need to win an argument. I don't need to. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. If you have doubts, don't be condemned by eating because the eating is not from faith. This is where things get really real. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What is faith? I thought faith was relinquishment, right? This is what we've been talking about in in Paul's letter to the Romans this whole time. Paul's using this kind of Slightly different definition of faith, where it's it's not about it's not about some action that I'm it's not about this thing that I'm doing. It's about this relinquishment of control of salvation, right? I know that I'm saved, and all I'm doing in my life is ah, I'm fighting for it. I'm going to save myself. And Paul says, no, faith is giving up your right to save yourself and giving it over to Christ. So how how is how is anything proceeding from that? I think quite simply, the cross of Christ is the foundation that we live everything out in life with. We place our feet upon Jesus being the blood sacrifice needed to set me free. And that colors everything of life. I already said this, but I'm going to say it again because I think it bears repeating. If you call yourself a Christ follower, a Christian, that means that you follow after Christ. And where did Christ go? Anyone? The cross. He was spit on, slapped around, beaten, and hung from a tree until he suffocated to death. Why? 
Because you and I didn't understand. Isn't that what it is? We all make mistakes, not because we know and because we misunderstand. We don't understand. We don't know how to live our lives better than we are currently. Right? Jesus spends three years trying to get into just 12 guys' heads, how to, how to live out, and what do they do? They're just banging their heads against the wall. Peter is constantly banging his head against the wall. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And finally, when Peter seems like he said something right, he says, you are the Christ. Immediately, Jesus is like, yeah, and I'm going to go die. And Peter's like, no, you're not. We don't get it without Christ's sacrifice. And Christ's sacrifice is what colors everything that we do in life. Christ's sacrifice is what should define what love is for us. How do we love? Well, let's look to Christ always first. And let's mirror his life. Let's mirror his death in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he did not lord over us his knowledge and understanding, but instead freely willingly, lovingly went to the cross for us. Lord, and as we try to understand what it means or what it looks like to live out the truth of the gospel in our lives, let us understand that while we may have freedom, it is not always the thing that we should do. But because we see those who are around us who who maybe have a differing opinion, And maybe even we think that we're right and they're wrong. It doesn't even matter. Lord, but rather we would pursue peace. Like Jesus did on the cross, who was willing to be the punishment. And that we would pursue mutual upbuilding. We would pursue growth by having conversations and listening. And then setting all of our pride aside and humbling ourselves like your son humbled himself on the cross. To build up. Not to tear down. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you most of all for Jesus and his work. We ask that your spirit who lives in us, dwells in us, would illuminate for us places or we might put our feet more firmly on the ground with that sacrifice and that truth. It's in His precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray.